The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Well, some of the most remarkable people that I've ever had the opportunity to meet, and I would be willing to bet some of the most remarkable people that you have ever had the opportunity to meet, are the people who follow Jesus even though. Right? They're the people who are going through unimaginable circumstances in their own life, with their family, with their kids, maybe even with themselves. And yet somehow, through everything that they're going through, their, their faith in God, it just remains unbelievable. In, in fact, you've talked to them at times and you've thought to yourself, okay, maybe they're just in denial about what's actually going on. But when you take the time and you talk to them, you find out that's not what's happening at all. They know what's going on and yet they still have peace. They, they know exactly what's going on, and, and yet they're not scared the way you and I are scared. They're, they're actually okay. You, you, when you think about death, you, you're scared to death. They're, they're not scared to death by death, right? Yeah, they're scared about life. They're scared about things that are uncertain, but they're not terrified the way I'm uncertain. They're not, un, uh, they're not uh, uh, un, unaware of what they're going through. But you see them carry these amazing things, and you think to yourself, okay, what in the world is going on with you? Right? How in the world are you doing that? In fact, when you think about these people, the truth is maybe for some of you today, the reason why you're here today, maybe the reason why you're curious about Jesus, maybe even the reason why you came to church this morning is because you know one of these kinds of people. And, and which, this is what you think about them. I'm, you probably would never say this, but so I will. Right? Um, you think this. You think even if there's nothing to that whole Jesus thing, Right? I, I want what that person has. I, I want w- what they have. Right? Because I'm not going through anything compared to what they're going through. And yet somehow they have peace. Right? Somehow they still have joy. They're scared, but not like me. Today we are in the third part of our series, Signs and Wonders. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been journeying with the Apostle John as he records for us his experience of living with Jesus and listening to Jesus for three years. And so what we've discovered and what we're going to continue to see throughout this series is that John, as well as Matthew and Peter and all the rest of the guys, they did not follow Jesus because of faith. They followed Jesus because of what it is that they saw and what it is that they heard. And so John sits down and he dictates his account of of following Jesus and his experience with Jesus. And and what John tells us is very, very clear. He's very specific. He's very upfront. He says, okay, I do in fact have an agenda for writing this. I do have an agenda that I am praying and hoping will happen. John tells us, listen, I've written all these things so that you may believe. Right, Not simply that you would know, he says, no, I've written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is in fact the Messiah and that by believing you may have life in his name. And all throughout his gospel, John goes to explain what he means when he uses this word life, that he's talking about eternal life. And John tells us that eternal life is not something that begins once you die. He says, no, eternal life is actually living this life knowing that there is, in fact, something beyond this life. Because what you know and what John knew, what many of us know, is that when you live this life believing there is something beyond this life, you live this life in a very different way. 
And so just as we talked about last week, John, he organizes this account for us around seven very specific events that he refers to as signs. Because he knew that each one of these signs was in fact pointing to something. It was pointing to who Jesus claimed to be. Because John knew. John knew that Jesus had made some incredible claims about himself. And he knew that Jesus was crazy unless he could substantiate what he said. And so John tells us, looking back on all the things that I saw Jesus do, looking back on all of those events, I realized these were not a bunch of random acts of kindness. No, these were very specific. There was a purpose to each and every one of them. And the purpose, John says, is that Jesus, that you would know that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. Take out your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 4 which if you're using one of those Bibles in front of you today, you can find this beginning on page 1,653. Now, if you were with us last weekend as we listened in on Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, that whole conversation takes place in the city of Jerusalem. And you should know this, right? Anytime Jesus is in the city of Jerusalem, he's in danger. This is why you see Jesus, if you follow along in the Gospels, why he's always going in and coming out of that city. He never stays there for very long. And so after that conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus once again leaves the city of Jerusalem. And John tells us in verse 46 that once more Jesus visited Cana in Galilee. And John is saying to us, okay, that name of that city, that should sound familiar to you. Because that is where Jesus turned the water into wine. And there was a royal official there whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And see, this little detail is absolutely fascinating to me. And you may not think this is a big deal, but but I think this is hugely significant. The first miraculous sign that Jesus performs in Cana is at a celebration. The second is in the midst of a tragedy, and Jesus gets involved, which is where this royal official and his son are at, is about an eight-hour walk away from Cana, which is where Jesus currently is. And the fact that John describes this this person, this man, as a royal official means that more than likely he was a Sadducee. Now, that's kind of a strange-sounding word, and in Jesus' day, in first-century Jerusalem, there were three groups of people. We would think of almost like political parties, but really they were more like social classes, and the Sadducees were one of those three groups. There were the Pharisees that we hear a lot about, there were the Essenes that we hear nothing about, and then there were the Sadducees. Now, the Essenes, they were very isolated. They lived on the outskirts of society, and they were very, very uh, concerned and involved with things like purity and community. If you've ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, that was a library that belonged to this group of people known as the Essenes. The Pharisees, which we hear a lot about, they were very meticulous law keepers. They kept the law meticulously. Right? The Pharisees believed that God was intimately involved in the details of life. The Pharisees believed there would be a resurrection someday. The Sadducees, however, they were very intellectual. Right? They did not believe in a resurrection. They weren't even sure that there was an afterlife. They believed that all of us, that we're just simply here for the pleasure of God. 
that everything that you experience in life is predetermined, right? Your health, how many kids you have, if you're going to have kids, if you're going to get married someday, how much money you're going to have, what your place in society is going to be. They thought all of that is predetermined. You don't really ask God for anything because whatever's going to happen is just going to kind of happen, right? Fate, they thought, dictated everything. But today, for this royal official, for this man who's a Sadducee, all of that is brushed aside because John tells us that today, this man is a desperate father. And isn't it interesting how quickly all of our wealth and all of our power, all of our knowledge and all of our intellect, all of the things that we prop ourselves up on in life, isn't it fascinating how quickly all of those get brushed aside when someone that we love is suffering? Because on this day, the only thing that matters is that this man is a father who is scared to death that his son is about to die. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him, right? Most likely by a horse or by a chariot. He's a royal official. He is not going to take an eight-hour walk while his son is close to death. And so he begged Jesus to come and heal his son. And so this father, right, you have to imagine this. This father has to make this, this incredible decision, this unimaginable decision. He has to say to himself, okay, do I leave my dying son knowing that I may never see him again? Or do I just go and you know, get a servant of mine to go and find this supposed miracle worker? I mean, after all, these are just rumors. After all, these are just stories. I mean, we don't even know where this guy is from. Some people say he's from Bethlehem. Other people say he's from Nazareth. The, the truth is, we really don't know anything about him. But the only thing that is more desperate than the father of a sick child is their mother. And there is no way that she will allow anyone but the father to go and plead for the life of her child. And the text that John uses, the words that he writes, that tells us in the Greek, that is literally what this man did. He pleaded with Jesus over and over and over again. And he begged Jesus to come down and to heal his son. My son is dying. And supposedly, Jesus, I've heard that you can help. And if you can help, what will it take for you to come and heal my son? Right, some of you, you've been there. For some of you, the very first prayers that you ever prayed in your life was a prayer of desperation that probably sounded something like this. Okay, God, if you're up there or God, if you're out there somewhere, I need help and I need it now. Right? You've prayed that prayer, haven't you? I have. And what Jesus says next to this man, it sounds so insensitive to us, but I am telling you that is only a result of the translation. 
Because Jesus is no longer just speaking to this royal official. He's now speaking to his entourage as well as to the other people who have gathered around to see what this supposed miracle worker is going to do. And Jesus looks at this crowd of people and he says to them in verse 48, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Unless you actually see something, Jesus says, you won't believe. Right? And the way that this is translated, it makes it sound as if it's some sort of an indictment. But it's not. Right? Jesus is basically saying what he knows every single one of us know is true. He's saying, listen, I get it. Uh, Seeing is believing. Why in the world are you going to take me seriously? I'm making some outrageous claims. Right? Jesus is saying, listen, I get it. The only way that you're ever going to believe is if you see something. I'm not expecting anyone to have faith in faith, Jesus would say. I'm not expecting anyone to have faith in a preacher who knows how to use words and stories to make people feel things. And so Jesus decides that if what is needed is a sign, then it will be a sign so wonder-filled that you and I will be here 2,000 years later still talking about it. The royal official, he says to Jesus, he says, sir. In other words, he's saying, I understand that in society maybe I am above you, but I know, Jesus, in this moment I am beneath you. Sir, he says, I am, I am placing myself, this man says, under your authority. Sir, please, I need help. He's desperate. Sir, please, come down before my child dies. Right, in his mind, this father, he's got two options, doesn't he? He's thinking to himself, okay, here's the situation. This is what's going to happen. Basically, either Jesus comes with me or he doesn't. Jesus comes with me and then perhaps, you know, my son will be healed if, in fact, all these rumors are true. Or Jesus refuses. And if that happens, then my son will die. But see, Jesus knows There is, in fact, a third option. And so Jesus asks this father to do what Jesus has been asking people to do ever since. Jesus asks this father to trust him based on the testimony of other people. Jesus asks him to entrust his son to Jesus based on the stories told about Jesus. See, this is so important. Please do not miss this today. Fear is not the opposite of faith. Fear is, in fact, the opportunity for faith. And so Jesus turns to this royal official. And he looks him in the eyes and he simply says to him, go. Go. Now in the Greek, the the tense here, it gives the feeling of this. Just go. 
It's okay. You can just go. You don't have to rush. You don't have to worry. You can go. Go, Jesus says. Your son will live. Jesus, I had two options. This doesn't make any sense. I mean, dads, can you even imagine this for a moment? Jesus, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus, listen. This is how this works. Either you're with me and my son lives, or Jesus, you are not with me and my son dies. And you're saying, Jesus, that you're not going to come with me and my son will live? And see, dads, I think in this moment, as I picture this event, I think what Jesus does is he kind of, or what this royal official does is he kind of sizes up Jesus for a moment and he thinks to himself, okay, like little Jewish guy, right? I can take him, right? Maybe I just grab him, right? I, maybe I just grab him and I bring him with me by force, right? I mean, come on. He is scared to death that his son is about to die. I mean, his son's life is at stake. And you just want me, Jesus, to go out and grab a latte, hang out for a little bit, and then meander back home? Is that really what you're saying to me? Jesus? And see, this is where we live, isn't it? Right here in this moment, this is where we live. This is why John tells us about this sign. This is not some kind of a random act of kindness. Don't miss this. This is Jesus creating and laying a path that men and women would be walking in for 2,000 years. This is the path that many of you have walked in, are walking in right now, or perhaps will walk in in the future. Right? This story is the story of a lifetime reduced down to a day. This is your lifetime and my lifetime reduced to a single day. We are asked to take Jesus at his word based on the testimony of other people. We're asked to entrust our kids to Jesus, our lives to Jesus, our futures to Jesus, our families to Jesus, our children, our healthy children and our sick children to Jesus based on the words of people who saw him and who knew him. That we are to go about our daily lives carrying our unanswered prayers, confident that there is, in fact, something to this man. That he is who he claims to be, but not simply because he claimed it, but because Jesus demonstrated it. And see, all of us, right? The truth is, every single one of us, all of us, we have seen people do this. We have seen people who carry unanswered prayer, right? Burdens that just won't go away, sicknesses that will not get better, financial situations that just aren't going to turn around, husbands, wives, children who will not come home. We've seen people carry, and not just simply carry, but carry confidently and with peace. Right? And when you see this, right? I mean, this is inspiring, isn't it? But it is also equally intimidating when you realize that you do not have it. It may be what led you 
It might be what is leading you right now to place your faith in Jesus, to actually believe in Jesus. And you know what this means for the rest of us, for all of us, maybe for most of us in this room? For those of us who are carrying that unanswered prayer and we have that nagging thing that every single night we go home to and we talk to God about, and we feel like, okay, nothing is happening with this, and yet you continue to give, and you continue to serve, and you continue to listen, and you continue to be faithful, and every single night you feel as if maybe your prayers are just bouncing up against the ceiling, and every once in a while you're even tempted to say, okay, God, where in the world are you anyway? I mean, do you have any idea what it is that God is doing in the lives of people around you? Because of seeing your life and your faith lived out in the midst of the reality of a broken world? Do you have any idea? No. No, you don't. And do you know how many people in your own life are a day or a week or a month or a year or five years away from placing their faith in Jesus because they've seen the difference that Jesus has made in your life? No. See, you don't know that either. This is your life. This is my life, reduced to 100 words. And the royal official, he's thinking to himself, okay, Jesus, you're either with me or you're not. And Jesus says, okay, you are going home and you are going home without me, but you do not need to worry because I am, Jesus says, with you. And this royal official, I mean, he is just dumbfounded, right? He is not getting what he came for. He is not getting who he came for. And in this moment, he has to make a decision. A decision that people have been making for 2,000 years. This is no exaggeration. This decision has the possibility of changing the trajectory of life. This decision could change the trajectory of your life. He decided to believe Jesus and to live as if Jesus was who he claimed to be, even though there was no evidence yet. He believed that what Jesus said was true. Right? Don't miss this. John tells us. This is the most important part in the whole story. John tells us that the man took Jesus at his word. Right? In other words, he believed him and, don't miss this, and he departed. Right? He left. He behaved as if what Jesus said could be trusted. Right, you got to think about this. You have to picture this in your mind. This man just walked away from the only person who could save his son. This man just walked away from the only person who could heal his son because he believed that he could trust him. What this man did was, as the Apostle Paul years later would say, was to walk by faith and not by sight. Maybe you've heard that expression or that verse before. Some of you have been walking this way for years, haven't you? 
John tells us this, while the man was still on the way, wondering as he's heading back to his home, wondering what it is that he's going to face when he walks through that door, while he was still on the way, his servant met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. And it's in that moment this man's eyes fill with tears, right? And as he turns and he looks back at Cana, John tells us in verse 53, it was then that the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, go. You can go. Your son will live. And so now he's in a hurry and he races for home as fast as he can. And as soon as he gets there, he throws open the door and his wife looks at him and says, you're not going to believe it. A miracle has happened. And the father says nothing and he just smiles and she looks at him and she's like, okay, where's the rabbi? And he simply tells her the story. And so, John tells us, as a result, he... And his whole household believed. Right? Of course they did. Because seeing is believing. Seeing is believing even when you have to wait to see. Isn't it? Seeing is believing because he believed before he saw based on the testimony of other people. And John tells us that this was, in fact, the second miracle that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. Now, before we wrap up today, back to some of these words the Apostle Paul spoke. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Walking by faith. If you've grown up in church, if you've been around church for any length of time, chances are you've probably heard these words before. But this is the part that maybe you haven't heard. Walking by faith is not walking by hope. And walking by faith is not walking by wishful thinking. Walking by faith is living every single day of your life as if what Jesus said is true. Walking by faith is living every single day of your life as if Jesus is who Jesus claimed to be. It's living every single day of your life as if your sin, it really is forgiven. And God really isn't going to hold it against you. And you don't have to try to pay God back because God doesn't even want to be paid back. Walking by faith is living every single day of your life. And for some of you, this is the most difficult part. It's living every single day of your life believing that you really are loved unconditionally by God. Not because of anything that you did, but simply because Jesus says, okay, whenever you think about God, I want you to think perfect Heavenly Father. Whenever life is not matching up to what you think life would be, I just want you to remember perfect Heavenly Father. Because Jesus said, when you speak to God, talk to him. As your heavenly father. Walking by faith is to live. In fact, this is the part that actually changes everything, right? This is the part that changed the world. Walking by what changed the world, what changed the world was not that everybody got their prayers answered. 
Right, the thing that changed the world, the reason why followers of Jesus changed the world, the reason why they shaped Western culture, right, wasn't because they got everything they asked for. What changed the world is what happened in that upper room when Jesus said to his followers, okay, listen, I'm going to leave, but then I'm going to come back, and then I'm going to leave again. But all I want you to know is simply this. This is how everyone is going to know that I am who I've claimed to be and how you will be known as my followers. It is by how you treat one another, Jesus said. This is what changes families. This is what changes relationships. This is what changes cultures and communities. This is what changed the world once. And I believe, and I think you believe, that this is what can change our world again. To walk by faith is to live with the confidence that God is who God claims to be as revealed to us by his Son. And see, for those of you who have been walking by faith for a long time, do you know what this means? Right? The implications of this are absolutely staggering. To walk by faith is to live confident, knowing that your faith and your sacrifice and your generosity are not in vain because they are anchored to something real and they are anchored to someone real. At the very end of John's letter, he's gathered, Jesus gathers his disciples together. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's speaking some final words to them. And Jesus knows the whole reason his disciples believe in him is because they saw him die, they saw an empty tomb, and now they're having a conversation with him face to face, right? I mean, you would believe too, right? And so Jesus says to them some final words, and he knows that these people, these guys, these men and women are the people who are going to document all of these experiences, and that generation after generation after generation, people are going to come to believe in him, not because of what they saw, but because of what these people saw. And so Jesus says something to his followers that night that's really for you. It's really for your children. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says to them this. He says, you believe because you have seen me, right? Because after all, you saw me die and now you've seen me risen from the dead, right? Of course you believe. You believe because you've seen. But, Jesus says, but blessed are those, right? Most blessed are those who have not seen and who have believed. Blessed are those in the future who will believe based on your testimony and your testimony and your testimony and what Jesus has done in your life and your testimony because of what you have seen and because of what you have heard. Now this story that we looked at today this is an intensely personal story for me. Okay, a story about a family with a sick son who's on the verge of dying and who is miraculously healed. I mean, there could not be a more personal story um, f- for me. And, and the truth is, when I read and I interact with this story and I think about this story, this story opens up and it unsurfaces a whole lot of questions and a whole lot of doubts and a whole lot of fears in in my life. And the reason why I tell you that this morning 
is because you all see me come in here and you hear me deliver a sermon, and that's nice. But you don't see me during the week when I read something like this, and it wrecks me. Because I believe positively, absolutely, that every single word is true and that Jesus does this today in our world still, that he still heals, that he still performs miracles, and that he still changes lives in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. And yet, there are prayers that I have, there's prayers that you have, there's prayers that I have not yet seen answered. And it wrecks me. And I just need you to know, I don't stand up here on a weekend and pretend with you. That's not the kind of guy that I am. It's certainly not the kind of pastor that I want to be. And so when I read the truth of Scripture and I am confronted with the brokenness of our world and it wrecks me, do you know what I do? The very first thing that I do is I take this book and I look in the pages of this book and I look to see if there's someone's life who parallels my life or my circumstance or my situation. And if there is, if I can find someone with the same hope or the same fear, the same doubt or the same question or the same hurt, then immediately I can begin to feel better because it tells me that I am not alone and I am not the first. Because this is the record of the God who is faithful. And if he was faithful to the people in this book, then this same God will be faithful to you. Because this is the record of the Savior who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's why the Apostle John tells us at the end of his book, he records for us the words of Jesus speaking these words. This is not an accident. He says these words. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You may have peace. Because in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. For I, Jesus said, have overcome this world. Let me pray for you today. Father, you alone know where this incredible story lands for each and every one of us today. Father, for some of us, it wrecks us. For others of us, Father, this is something that maybe is just for our future. Maybe it's not even for us. Maybe it's for a friend or a family member. But Father, I know that there are men and women in this room right now who carry unanswered prayer. And Father, I know that they have brought those prayers to you and they have asked you. But Father, in this moment, I am asking you for them. Heavenly Father, Would you please restore what is broken? Father, would you please heal the sickness? 
Would you cure the disease? And Holy Spirit, would you please give us the faith that we need to take Jesus at his word and to trust him that what he says is true, that he loves us, that you love us, and that our fear is nothing more than an opportunity for faith. And Father, we ask that you'd hear us as we personally and silently confess our sin to you. The good news of the gospel, the words of your Savior Jesus to you today are this. I love you. I have forgiven you. I have not left you. I will not leave you. I have not abandoned you. I am with you always. And I promise I will never leave you or abandon you. And I will bring to you my peace in the midst of your brokenness.